Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. There once was a very rich man who was determined to give his mother a special birthday present, one that would outshine all others. And he heard about a bird that had a vocabulary of 4,000 words, could speak in uh, numerous languages, and, and sing two operatic arias. Immediately he went out and bought the bird for $50,000 and had it delivered to his mother. The next day he phoned his mother to see if she'd received the bird, and he said, well, what did you think of the bird? She replied, it was delicious. What a sad deal that was. That bird might have been tasty, but it had so much more to offer. And it didn't get a chance to achieve the purpose that had been sent. In the scripture text that we look at today, we see Jesus' disciples trying to talk Jesus into settling for far less of a purpose than what he was sent for. And as we ponder this passage, we are reminded of the significance of Jesus resolutely setting his face to go to the cross. And we're also reminded that God has a purpose for each one of our earthly lives as well, and Jesus says that it also involves a cross. This is uh, now the third week in our series here of 12 Men and Their Master. And in the first week, we looked at Jesus' calling of the 12 disciples. In the weeks that follow, we look at some of the things that Jesus called them to do. And last Sunday, then, we saw the significance of the time that Jesus spent with these 12. Today, we see that Jesus called them, and he calls us as well, to commitment and to sacrifice as his disciples. I invite you to look with me at Mark chapter 8 today. Mark 8, begin with verse 31, and would you stand in reverence to God's word at this time? Mark 8, begin with verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter, and he said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let us pray. Lord, again, we thank you for 
your word that teaches us uh, as it taught the disciples. Uh, may we also learn this lesson about self-denial and sacrifice today. Uh, speak to each of us about that, and we thank you that you were willing to do that as you went to the cross for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So for what was Jesus, the Son of God, sent to the earth? Two purposes stand out to me, and one I think you can say is primary, and the other in some ways is secondary. In this passage, it appears that Peter had some understanding of the secondary, and he missed completely the primary. The Old Testament prophets had predicted that the Messiah would come to be the Savior from sin. And that was Jesus' primary mission, and it involved the cross. His secondary mission was to spend time with the 12 disciples. And, and this ultimately then was in order to train them so that they would spread the message then about this Savior who died on the cross to the rest of the world. Well, during Jesus' three-year earthly ministry, he preached to and he healed crowds of people and he called these 12 apostles and he, and he spent concentrated time with them. And then we see, as, it, as described here in verse 31, there came kind of a shift in his focus. His preaching and his healing ministry and his time privately instructing the 12 had resulted in, if you look at the verses right before this, Peter's confession. Um, Jesus had asked the disciples, well, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they had answered, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. And then he had said, but who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who confidently spoke up and he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. One of the first lessons that Jesus had wanted the disciples to learn was that of his identity. And Peter clearly had a strong conviction here concerning this, that Jesus truly was the promised Messiah. Now it was time for another lesson. It's a lesson on the cross. And so Jesus began speaking clearly about his upcoming death. He had mentioned earlier in some of the other texts, we can see this here, um, he had mentioned the cross, but kind of in mysterious language, you might say. For instance, he talked of a temple which, if it was destroyed, he could raise up again in three days. He, he talked about how, like Moses had lifted up that snake on the pole in the wilderness in the Old Testament, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He talked about how, like Jonah, three days in the belly of a fish, so he would be. It's not surprising the disciples didn't really understand some of those. They kind of seemed riddles to them until after his death and resurrection had occurred. But, but now here in verse 32, um, Jesus starts make, making it very plain, stating the matter plainly, and, and, and Peter didn't like what he was hearing. Three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record three times where Jesus says in no uncertain terms that he is going to suffer and he's going to die. And in two of those times, he mentions that it will be at the hands of the Jewish religious leaders. To Jesus, his primary mission was quite clear. His mission involved the cross. And in, in, in the Matthew account, it, it starts out by explaining that that also then involved going up to Jerusalem. That historic holy city was going to be the location for Jesus' suffering and death to take place. It wasn't going to be off in some obscure location where no one would notice the events but rather right there in the heart of the Jewish nation, right there where the Jewish people gathered for worship and where they offered sacrifices for sin, there the Lamb of God would be slain. And Jesus knew 
why he was going up to Jerusalem. And he knew that he would suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. And he told the disciples of that upcoming suffering, but he didn't go into a whole lot of detail at this point. What he did make clear was that it would involve also them being rejected by the Jewish religious leaders, the elders and chief priests and scribes. All of them would band together and willing, they were willing to do whatever they needed to to get rid of him. The disciples had observed some of Jesus' run-ins with these religious leaders before. But here now they are being told that this will result in him being killed. And it was, at, it was this that Peter couldn't stand the thought of. Jesus, however, knew that this was ultimately part of God's perfect plan and was the only way for the holy God to show his wrath against sin and also his undying love for sinners. And that would be accomplished then when, when Jesus, the Son of God, would die a substitutionary death on the cross and uh, die in the place then of sinners. But the plan didn't end there. Jesus also told the disciples one other important part of the upcoming events, and that was that he would be raised on the third day. But this must have kind of gone right over their heads as, as they were so overwhelmed with grief at the earlier news that Jesus was going to be killed. And though the disciples didn't like it, Jesus knew, though, that his primary mission involved going to that cross to die. Now let's look for a bit at, at Peter's plan. Not the cross. A more pleasant plan. Skip the suffering and the death. And it's not the way that uh, most of us would like it as well. We, we prefer that our plan for our lives would involve uh, skipping the painful stuff. <clears throat> well, Jesus had told his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be killed. And, and that was the very statement that would have led to Peter's then taking Jesus aside and exclaiming. And in the Matthew passage, it tells us what he exclaimed. He said, God forbid it, Lord. This should never happen to you. He couldn't fathom how or why God would allow his own son to be killed. It made no sense to him. How could a dead man save the Jewish nation or anyone else? And you know, this is a, it's this part of the plan that, that trips up many today as well. They don't want to believe in a God who would send his son to die a criminal's death on a cross. This is unpleasant and unnecessary, they think. But they do not understand, then, the, the seriousness of God's holiness and of mankind's sinfulness, which justly then condemns us all as sinners to death and hell for eternity. And they do not grasp, then, that man's inability to do anything to redeem himself, and, and thus the need for a substitute sin-bearer. Some today would just declare Jesus to be a great moral teacher, and nothing more. They think, you know, if this great teacher did die on a cross, it must have been an accident, not part of God's plan. For instance, in the Quran, it tells those of the Muslim faith that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Um, Judas, the traitor, was made to look up like, to be like Jesus and died instead. And yeah, that's, that's what the Quran tells us, because they think, well, Allah wouldn't allow his prophet to be killed. But that information in the Quran is a lie. The historical evidence from the Bible and from several other sources is very strong that Jesus did indeed die on a Roman cross and also rise again. 
And all of the New Testament Gospels tell the details of that suffering and death that Jesus predicted would take place. And the rest of the New Testament then after that explains further why it was so necessary that this substitutionary death of Jesus would take place for sinners and how that really is the foundation of our Christian faith. Which means then that Peter's plan that didn't include the cross, though it seemed a more pleasant plan, was actually from Satan. That's why Jesus said such sharp words here to Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on God's interests but man's. Because he, Peter, was, was playing the role of Satan, so to speak, and tempting Jesus to scrap the primary mission and just settle for hanging out with the twelve disciples. And while that sounded a whole lot more pleasant for Peter and the rest of the twelve in the short run, it would not accomplish God's purpose in sending his son to the earth in the first place. I think there's a little side lesson to learn here as well on how to deal with temptations when they come our way. And notice again how Jesus responded to Peter's objections regarding his upcoming suffering and death. His response was immediate and it was decisive. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus asked for the temptation to be removed from his sight. What happens when we keep the temptation in our sight? We, we think about it a bit longer. We get enticed by that temptation and, and our resolve um, to resist weakens. Jesus knew this. He responded quickly and decisively to the temptation. Well, Jesus also states here that, that Peter had his focus on man's interests and not on God's. And really, particularly on his own perception rather than the far more objective view of Almighty God. And is that not the tendency for each of us as well, to, to focus on getting things to our advantage and from our point of view? But we don't always have the best angle on some things in life. Reminds me of a bit of a, <clears throat> sometimes we see this at a, at a ball game, some of the fans in the stand get all riled about a call one of the referees makes out on the floor. And the ones most likely to get riled are probably ones that have a kid in the game. And, and parents see it, you see, from their own biased angle, they're in the stands and they'd like to change the call. But they don't have the authority to do so, because the ones that have the authority are those in the, in the black and white stripes. And yes, it's true, sometimes they may not see it so well either. But that is not the case when it comes to God. He has the objective view. Isaiah 55 tells us, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so it is here with Peter. God's plan was bigger and better than Peter's. But it involved some things unpleasant for Peter. It involved suffering and death on the cross for Jesus in order to accomplish the higher purpose of bringing salvation to mankind. But in the next verses, we see something else which we might not readily welcome. There it tells us about how all followers of Jesus are also called to a cross. And Jesus isn't just talking here even about just the twelve. Most of whom would, as we've talked about in these last weeks, most of them would go on to experience martyrs' deaths sometime. But no, here in verse 34 he says, And calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, that doesn't sound so pleasant. What does Jesus mean here? Part of what this means is that following Christ involves denying ourselves. 
This is what all Christians are called to do. Deny self. That, that word deny means to turn off or, or refuse association uh, or disown. And, and the one to be denied here is not somebody else, but self. You see, it's talking about conversion that needs to take place in our hearts and our lives. And conversion involves in a turning from sinful self to Jesus and saying, I want your way. As Christians, we are called to deny ourselves and to take up the cross. And soon some of these followers of Jesus would witness that spectacle when Jesus would be condemned to die unjustly and he would be forced to carry his own cross through the streets of Jerusalem up the hill to then be used as for his own execution. And, and the picture one author paints here is, is that Jesus' words here to his disciples are, are giving a picture of him carrying his own cross and then other disciples following behind, each bearing their own cross in an immense procession, being led away to be crucified, essentially. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So how do um, we who call ourselves Christians in our daily lives deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him? Well, denying self involves forgetting self and our own personal agendas and seeing the bigger picture in life, which only God can give us. It involves taking up our cross, but by at times being willing to stick our neck out, so to speak, and say something for the Lord, even when we might risk being laughed at or put down by others. Following Jesus involves pointing people to him uh, however we can in the way we live our lives and in speaking the name of Jesus as opportunity comes. And Jesus goes on to tell us something very interesting here. He says this in verse 35, whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. <clears throat> Many down through the centuries have been willing to die martyrs' deaths for the sake of proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And, and I believe that there might be a time, even in our own country, where we or our children might be called to be willing to do that as well. But there is something more in this statement than just literally losing one's life here. You, you see, if we understand that our lives are really not our own to just do with as we want, but we're here for a higher purpose than that, then, then we find a far greater joy and satisfaction in life comes from living to spread the hope of the gospel to a world of so many that feel so hopeless. Just a couple more things I want to note here as we look at the last verses in this text. One of them is this, there, there's something more valuable than gaining the whole world. Now, I was thinking about what it means to gain the whole world and, and still miss out on something that's more important. And some of the richest people in the world came to my mind and I thought of uh, Bill Gates, for instance, and I, I looked into it and I realized that he didn't even make the top four. Um, there are others that have even more. Um, according to one record I found, uh, number one was a guy I, I didn't know, um, Bernard Arnold and his family, worth uh, $221 billion. Elon Musk next with $198.5 billion. Then Jeff Bezos with $193.9. And, and then Mark Zuckerberg with $165.1 billion. All of that wealth these guys have, and they can't take any of it with them when they draw their last breath on this earth and their soul enters eternity. 
And if they don't come to know Jesus as their Savior before them, then they will be separated from God for all eternity. Jesus says here, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And the answer is nothing. Nothing is more important than the human soul. And so we are called to live our lives concerned for our souls and the souls of others around us. And someday when Christ returns, we're told in the Matthew passage that he will repay us for our service with eternal rewards. There he says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the hour or in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then will repay every man according to his deeds. Jesus also has some additionally sobering words in this last verse, verse 38. There he says, For whosoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What does that mean? Well, we who are believers in Jesus Christ as our Savior are called to speak up for Christ in front of others. That's part of following him. But if we are honest with ourselves, every one of us have at times hesitated to do so, haven't we? Maybe been embarrassed to speak his name in some setting. And so is Jesus saying here that if you've ever done that, then then he will deny you before the Father and you're lost for eternity? It cannot be meaning this because remember Peter? Three times one night this loyal follower of Jesus in fear denied his connection with Jesus and yet Peter was restored and forgiven and commissioned to spread the gospel. Now Jesus is speaking here about a more complete being ashamed of Jesus, a more final denial of him. Lenski says it this way, to be ashamed of Jesus and his words here means to not believe and accept them and to raise objections to them and contradict them and thus nullify the blessed power of these words for the heart. It comes to this, you see. Some people might want to think that they can have nothing to do with Jesus and his church throughout their life and even speak against it and yet somehow still end up in heaven someday. And that simply cannot be. If you reject Jesus and his words throughout your earthly life, if you deny any belief in him, then when he returns in glory of his Father with the holy angels, he will deny you. He will turn away from you saying, this truth, I never knew you. He wouldn't lie and and tell his heavenly Father, this is one of my disciples, if you never claimed to be one. And so in conclusion, Jesus knew his primary mission, and he knew it took him to the cross for the sake of all mankind, and he was willing to go there. Peter at first didn't understand this, but he came to believe in Jesus as the Son of God and his own personal Savior from sin, and he became then willing to live his life on a mission for Christ and to follow him even if it meant for him too to be dying on a cross. So how about you and I? Have we also come to know Jesus, the Son of God, as our personal Savior from sin? And if so, then what is our life mission? And are we willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross, whatever that will be, and follow him? In our flesh, we will struggle like Peter, who even denied being a follower of Christ at one point. But as Peter was also empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a bold witness for Christ, so we too, by God's grace, can be used by him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word today that reminds us so clearly of the, the real 
primary reason that you came, and that is because we needed a Savior, and no one else could do it, but you were willing to come to this earth and even go to the cross for us. We thank you for that, for your willingness to suffer and die and take the wrath of God on our sin upon yourself. And, and Lord, we're reminded from Peter that we, we would like to avoid those unpleasant things in our own lives, and, and uh, we didn't, wouldn't have understood this without your word making it clear today. But we pray that you would help us to be willing to do whatever you would call us to as well. And Lord, that we would live our lives in daily denying self, thinking of others, being concerned, especially for those around us who do not know you and do not have the hope that we have. And Lord, give us boldness to share with them and a willingness to, to live our lives um, to spread the gospel. And we thank you, Lord, that there's forgiveness of sin and eternal life for each one of us who are willing to look to you for that um, and that you work a change in our hearts, in our direction in life. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.